0: Welcome to the Salty and Bright podcast, a show about how we can better live as God's salt and light today. Today, I'm super glad to welcome Dale Christensen to the podcast. Dale is 29 years old and was raised in the Christ centred household of Brett and Leslie alongside his two siblings, Kim and Bryce. After attending school in suburban Melbourne, Dale pursued a university honours degree in chemistry. Dale currently works at the Australian Synchrotron, a government-funded research institution, and is also chipping away at a PhD. He's married to the lovely Gina and became a first-time dad in 2020 with the birth of their son, Theodore. We recorded this chat via Zoom in the middle of a Melbourne lockdown, so some of the audio is a bit rough around the edges. That said... Dale gives us so many gold nuggets that I don't think you'll mind. So let's jump straight into our conversation about building a firm spiritual foundation. So, first of all, thank you so much, Dale, for making time to chat with me over Zoom today. And I think we'll just dive straight into the questions. But before we get into our theme of building a firm spiritual foundation, I wanted to ask about your own story of how you came to know Christ and his church. So could you tell us a bit about that, Dale?
1: Sure. It's really through my parents. I guess you don't really realize this as a kid, but looking back on it, it's very clear that this was the thing that our family revolved around. And so there's daily rituals, whether it's just the simple praying before meals, but also like Bible reading before bed and you know, personal Bible reading, songs as well. Um, and then, of course, there's weekly or more attendance with the local church. And then annual traditions too, like an Easter camp. You know, every year of my life, except the year I was born, we've set aside the Easter weekend to spend time with Christians, to, to look into God's Word more importantly, or just as importantly, to fellowship. And so it was the thing that our family revolved around. There's no, there's no one point, no one event, but it's sort of, you know, you're growing up in a culture where God's word is respected, where it is looked into on a daily basis, where prayer and singing and and all these things are part of Christ, uh, part of your childhood. And very early on, I knew I wanted to be a Christian and, and sort of how that looks evolves as you, as you grow up through your childhood and then your teen years. I was baptized into Christ on my 15th birthday and um, yeah, uh, I sort of I haven't looked back there's you know there's ups and downs in in spiritual life, but it was the the effort of my parents to make this the priority of our family life that laid that foundation.
0: One question I did have Dale, was you know growing up in Australia where I would say it's pretty rare to have friends at school who were Christians as well. Outside your kind of family sphere, were there any other influences or people who really nudged you deeper in your faith?
1: Yes. Yeah, of course. As part of our childhood, mum and dad made sure that we were going to different events, making friends with different Christians. You're right. There's not a whole lot of uh, believing people in our school environment, in our community environment. And so every year, pretty much, we were up at the Macquarie Lectureship in Sydney. Every year, we tried to get to the Saving Light series at Heidelberg in Melbourne. You know, eventually, when we sort of hit high school, we were going to youth camps. And when we went on family holidays, it sort of, it, it revolved again around how many churches could we hit up? All right. So we're going to go, uh, you know, Gympie has their midweek study on a Tuesday. So we'll try and get there on a Tuesday and then we'll be in Toowoomba for the Thursday or, or, or whatever it is. And, you know, that, that was a very deliberate thing on the part of my parents to make sure that because there weren't that many influences within our immediate context to make sure that there were people that we could relate to and talk to. So there definitely were, I think of, um, Stephen Mayles, now at the Southwest Church in, in Sydney. He was sort of a key, a little bit older than me figure that sort of you know, was a good example for me to look up to and to, to sort of talk to when I didn't want to talk to my parents. So, yeah, there were plenty, plenty of influences outside my family. I think the credit goes to mum and dad for making that a priority as well.
0: Sharing the responsibility, I guess, which is always good. Dale, I was also wondering... Since you talked quite a bit about your parents, if you could briefly tell us about how they came to know Christ, because it sounds like your journey of coming to know the church and God was really rooted in their faith as well.
1: That's a great question, because I think a family of faith is a multi-generational project. I think, you know, with, it, with my own son now, I'm thinking about not only how to raise a son that will be a Christian, but to raise a son who will raise Christians himself. And so it is a multi-generational project. Now, on my mother's side, her parents came to Christ when she was five years old. And they, they had this same, this same desire, basically what I've been talking about with, um, with my mum and dad. I'm so spiritually refreshed when I spend time with, with mom's family. It's wonderful. Uh, I'm going to skip past it because it's so similar to what I, I just said, but I don't want to diminish it because it, it, it's so important. My dad's side is a bit interest, a bit more interesting. He was raised in a church going family, but not one that was particularly uh, committed or devout. It was just more of a, this is what you do in the community that we're in through his high school years. Dad became more interested in Christ and interested in finding the truth and, and trying, to, trying to figure out exactly what it is that God expected of him. Um, and he sort of went church hopping for a few years, uh, trying to find where he thought God was, was, was calling him to be. And eventually, when he was, I think, in year 12, he was baptized into Christ on a, on a stormy winter's night at Frankston Beach, his parents had actually moved to Sydney and uh, he was boarding with an older lady who was dutifully reporting all his actions uh, to his mother. And so dad actually snuck out of home after she went to bed, uh, made his way to the house of some church members and, uh, and was baptised uh, on the sly, I guess, way back in the day. So, I mean, that was his quite different journey, but it was also one of really seeking the truth above all things. So there's, there's my parents in short.
0: I think my next question would be, considering that you, or if I've listened well enough to you, that you had a pretty solid foundation thanks to your parents, but I wanted to ask you, Dale, how you went about establishing your own firm spiritual foundation or, you know, started to claim your faith more as your own?
1: That's a really great question uh, because to a certain extent, I'm not sure how successful I've been in doing that. Because of the foundation I got as a child, I am able to get away with not having quite the level of discipline <laughs> that I would like in my adult life. My wife Gina will tell you she and I have struggled on and off to keep a strong discipline of bible reading or you know daily rituals of of prayer and different things like that i work shift work at the moment and that makes things difficult to have like the same ritual every day and so i would say that my my own spiritual disciplines they they go through highs and lows i go through periods where i feel like i'm really in a habit whether it's with you know habitual prayer or with bible reading and then I go through periods where I, I just get out of that habit and it, I find it really hard to get back on the bandwagon. But I am able to, I have a good starting place because of, of what my parents get. I'm not back at square one, even when I'm slack in my habits, even when I slide back a bit, this is, I'm not all the way back to square one, it's, it's just a backward step and I'm, I'm more able to, to launch from there again. And so I think perhaps people I interact with in the church are fooled into thinking that I have, you know, I've, I've nailed spiritual disciplines or whatever. It's certainly not the case. I struggle just like anyone else with habits and disciplines of, um, of, of reading and prayer and all these different things. But it is that fo- solid foundation that I was given as a child that, that really helps me get back on my feet when I backslide a bit.
0: I think it's really interesting that you said that, Dale, because... In terms of thinking of people who I could interview for this topic, I thought, you know, I really admire Dale's faith. And for people who don't know you, I'll just mention that you come quite often to my, con- to my congregation at Belmore Road to share sermons and to teach, and you're also a very service-oriented person in what you do to organize events for younger Christians as well. So to someone like me, I would have just assumed that, oh, you know, Dale has a firm spiritual foundation, but I think it's really refreshing, for me at least, to hear you say that you've struggled to keep up these disciplines like any other Christian, because they often seem like simple habits, but like you said, it's, it's very easy to just slip in and out of them. So I really appreciate you saying that, Dale.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not just saying this <laughs> to be relatable or whatever. This is a, a genuine struggle in my Christian life. Uh, again, I'll go back to my childhood. We, we sort of had rules about, like, you go know, 15 minutes Bible reading a day before you can go on the computer and stuff like that. And it's, you know, I go through periods where I, I enjoy reading parts of the Bible more. Right now I'm, I'm loving spending more time in the, in the back half of the Old Testament, and I'm enjoying that. But it is, you know, once once you don't have your parents saying you can't use the computer until you've done your Bible reading, it is on you to, to maintain that habit. And sometimes for me, that's easier than for others, particularly at the end of a long day, I work 12 and a quarter hour shifts. So I come home, I just want to veg out watching, watching sports or, you know, watching a TV show that I'm watching with Gina. Sometimes it's easier than, than other times to, to sort of say, no, we really need to just knuckle down and, and make sure that we get uh, our spiritual food before we, before we get the junk food of Disney Plus or, or, <laughs> or Netflix.
0: So going off of what you said about your parents' foundation and your own foundation as Christians, it's clear that you believe that to be an important part of your faith but could you say more about any specific reasons why you think it's so crucial to have that firm foundation?
1: Yeah for sure I think the most obvious one is the one that you spoke about earlier which is that we are in quite a strong minority a weak minority I guess you would say it is difficult to maintain um, a Christian devotional life when everyone around you has different priorities. And they they often think that the the Christian life is if not harmful, then just quirky and a bit weird. But increasingly they think it's harmful, right? And so to survive in that environment, you really do need to be to be strongly grounded and and have a firm root in the faith. I think of you know Psalm 1, how it talks about a good root system beside uh, living water, that we really need that or else we're going to be blown about, you know, by, by everything that happens to us. And I think increasingly so as we, as we move forward.
0: So then, Dale, do you think it's a matter of priorities? Do you think that's the main obstacle to Christians establishing a firm spiritual foundation or do you think it's something else or a combination of factors
1: yeah, I think it's it's always priorities because the things that the world focuses on as important are not necessarily bad, right? Relationships, career, buying a house, uh, all these things are, are, are good things. But of course, when we put them in front of our, uh, you know, give them a higher priority than they should have, then of course they crowd out our spiritual life. If if we do put Christ first, and if we do prioritise those spiritual foundations, we will have plenty of time to do these other aspects of life, and they'll be seasoned with Christian thought, with Christian action, with Christian passion. It's not that we have to discard these things. It is a matter of priorities, as you say. And it's a matter also of just not caring particularly. You do have to get yourself used to the idea of maybe my career won't go as far as my peers'. Maybe this relationship with this person is not going to go as far as it could otherwise if I was willing to put aside or you know, relegate to second place my relationship with Christ. And so the more we just get comfortable with that idea, the easier it is to sort of live uh, in the world but not be of the world as Paul says.
0: I think that's a great point because I think as young Christians, we often feel like we're being pulled into different directions. And that's leads very nicely onto a follow-up question, which is on a more personal or practical level, how has your commitment to Christ changed either how you live or how you see your life as someone who, like you said, is in this world but not of it?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I think the, the truth that you fundamentally have to understand first is the one that we're told in Scripture that we are going to be strangers and aliens in this world. So when I look around in the world and and how I'm meant to operate, I'm not looking to pick sides or find a comfortable niche or settle in. The truth is, for a Christian, that this world is not our home. Once I start from that square one, it is much easier to make decisions about career, decisions about voting, decisions about how we spend our money, that is just, it's not trying to appeal to one group of society or another. There's this really wonderful chapter that I keep coming back to in, I'm going to mess up the title now. It's an A.W. Tozer book. It's The Pursuit of God, I think. And he talks about how Abraham, having come down from the mountain after being asked to sacrifice his son, he still had the riches that he had when he went up the mountain. But when he came down after he had had shown to God that he was willing to even sacrifice his son, it was as if he possessed nothing. He was willing to part with even the most dearest, the most precious thing to his heart for the sake of, of God. If you can hold lightly your possessions, your income, your job, you know, your superannuation, whatever it is. If you can hold that lightly, knowing that service to God might require you to drop any of those, then I think that's, that makes things so much easier. You can be sad about these things, but it's not going to uh, alter your determination to follow after Christ. And so I really think, particularly in Australia, particularly in, in a culture where we have such great riches it's something that Australian Christians really need to take to heart, to, to hold their possessions lightly, and we'll see what God has in store for us, you know, on the other side of making that decision and taking that step. I, I think it's also, it's, it's in contrast to the idea that you have to immediately sell everything you have and sort of live like a monk. You can, you can have possessions as long as you're willing to part with them. <laughs> It's not about taking a vow of poverty, it is about, like I said, holding it lightly and being willing to give it up for the sake of Christ. And you have to practice that before it comes to the decision point. If you don't train yourself into that mode of thinking and then it comes up that you have this potential career promotion... You're being offered this promotion in your job. It's going to be a 20 grand pay rise. You're going to have more respect. You're on the, the, the ladder of the company. Oh, but you won't be able to meet with Christians because it requires that you work every week on the Sunday, right? If you wait until that moment to, to start thinking about what you're willing to give up, then it becomes a, so, much a, so much of a more difficult decision. So it it is something that you have to train yourself before it gets to the the decision point, the point of sacrifice.
0: It's funny you bring that up, Dale, because last Sunday someone at my church was talking about being ready to share the gospel and he was saying exactly what you're saying in the way that we have to know what we're going to say if a family member or a friend asks us what we believe or why we believe it because otherwise – will be caught off guard when they do ask and will miss that opportunity. So I'm really glad you brought that up in the context of our theme today, because I think too many of us Christians just go along with the routine of life. But when the crunch time really comes, then we're not ready a lot of the time. So Del, would you have any practical advice on how to really train ourselves or prepare for that? Because like you said, we should all expect those kinds of decisions to come our way.
1: Yeah, uh, there, is, there are a couple of things in the way that we live, you know, Gina and I, that help with this sort of process. And The first is that at the, the, the last day of every month, we sort of look forward to our budget for the next month. And the first thing that comes out of our paychecks is a certain percentage of whatever we got that month goes into giving. It's as if it was never part of our budget that's sort of that is a percentage that we have decided on and that has gone up and down a little bit over the years as, as Gina has been in full-time work and then in part-time work and it's bounced around a little bit but it is our decision that that be that separation of funds for giving be prior to to any other decisions we make if we really want to go on a on a holiday and we don't we haven't saved up enough for that yet the giving fund is not something on the table to take from like it is, it is, it is separate. And I think that really helps us remind ourselves that what we have is not our own. Um, and that re- in reality, all of our money is like that. You know, it is, it is God's that he is entrusting us to do good things with part of that is, you know, what we give on Sunday, but it's also over the years, we've helped out a couple of homeless ladies who sort of lived in the neighborhood where. Where we used to live, you know, it is to, to help our friend Billy over in India who runs an orphanage there, and our friend Chris Bander who lives in Zambia as well. So it's, it's all sorts of giving, but that is sort of, that's off limits for any, you know, it's not for a Netflix subscription. <laughs> it's not for, for anything like that. The other thing that I would say is that decisions that you make that seem on the surface to be non-spiritual decisions, They always have a spiritual element. And so when you are buying a car, think about not just what type of cars you like, think about how you're going to be serving God with that car. My grandparents on my mother's side for a long time had a van because they knew that they would be picking up people for church every Sunday. Like during the week, it was just the two of them in a big old van. But, you know, when it came time to to pick up people for church, they were ready to serve. Even bigger decisions about where you live, what jobs you accept, these have spiritual implications. Every decision that you're making, every life decision, big or small, realize that they have spiritual implications. Think about how you're going to serve God through whatever choices you have and make that the, the deciding factor, right? Just decide that that is going to be determinative. And if that means that you accept a job that you know, pays 15 grand less a year, like you're able to serve God, you're able to look after your family better, then, then that's the decision you make. I, I feel like a lot of times people have this, this idea of like, yes, I want to put God first, but I don't know how that applies in the circumstance of what car I'm buying. <laughs> there is an application, right? It's important when you are trying to prioritize Christ, that you realize that Christ is not separate to the other concerns of life, but is actually the primary focus of all these other decisions that you have with your, your finances, your career, your relationships, and so on. Can I just say, Faith, that I really want to emphasize that I'm not trying to promote a, a prosperity gospel here, but I want to give my own experience of the financial side of, of, of making those difficult decisions on, on a Christian level. As you know, in Australia, particularly in Melbourne and Sydney, it is hard to buy a house houses are so expensive wages haven't grown in years it's it's like this very daunting challenge and so of course it for a young person any young person it feels like well i have to just be squirreling away as much money as i can to get that loan that i'm going to have for 30 years right and it's very tempting to sort of like minimize our responsibilities in giving to you know the the bare necessities of you know a bit on sunday morning and then a bit to somebody that i see in need that sort of thing. My personal experience, and, you know, as as part of our married life, the more that we have decided to simply not care about the financial ramifications of of giving away more money, the more that we have found ourselves in a good financial position. And I know it's a paradox. I know it's, it's something that, you know, we should expect if we take the words of Christ seriously, even though we don't really know how it how he's he's working in it but i'm in a reasonably well-paying job and i fell backwards into it i was finishing my studies and as part of that somebody at the, the australian synchrotron that i'd worked with as part of my studies needed cover for a maternity leave position i got that six month position as that was coming to a close i went to the hr manager and said do you have any other positions here and they said yeah somebody's retiring it wasn't a role that I'd trained for. It wasn't a role that I had sought out. But it's one that is, has really blessed me both financially but also because it is shift work, because I do work long shifts, I get a lot of days off as well. And that has really helped me to be there more for my family but also to you know, work on preaching and teaching and encouraging you know, members of different congregations and, and things like that. I can't claim credit at all for like, striving towards making it to this place of comfort i guess so you know it is it is a step of faith and i can't promise that the same experience would be shared by everybody but that has been my experience and so i want i want to encourage people if i can to just take out take that first step of faith in saying look i don't really care how much this doesn't make sense from a worldly financially uh, sensible perspective i think this is what God would want me to do with the money, and so I'm going to do that now and see what he does with my life.
0: I think that's actually a perfect example about what you said before about holding things lightly. You know, when I started a casual job alongside my uni studies, I remember when that first paycheck came in and I was really excited, but I also just started thinking immediately about how much of a struggle it is to buy a house in a city like Melbourne. And so I thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't go out with friends or spend that money. So at least for me, it's a constant challenge to find the middle of those two extremes, you know, being very stingy versus spending unnecessary amounts of money. And I have to always remind myself that you can serve God with whatever you have, I don't know if that quite makes sense.
1: Perfect sense. Perfect sense because it's, it's exactly what I struggled with as well. During my PhD, I had, I think, $25,000 a year as sort of like the government scholarship for those who have a place in the program. And I thought that was the most, like that was the most that I'd ever, I'd ever earned. It felt like so much money to me, like you described with that, that first paycheck. And it was the same struggles that I had. You know, do I... Put this all aside uh, in order to save? Do I spend, do I give up on the idea of, of owning a home and just spend it all on the things that I want to do? Both of those are, are unhelpful extremes, right? <laughs> God has given you what he has given you to help those with less. And whether that is riches or whether it is physical strength, you know, I mean, you and I know people who aren't rich, but they've got big muscles and they use those big muscles to to help people, you know, in the way that they can. And I think for those who have different talents, different gifts, different abundances, it is on us to decide we are going to use that in the way that God would like us to.
0: Well, it's probably best that I ask my last question. Do you have any more advice for younger Christians who are really looking to set up that firm foundation in their Christian walk? And I know you've already scattered bits of advice throughout our conversation, but is there anything else you'd like to add or to build upon?
1: One thing I would encourage young Christians to do is to, to be ambitious, but not in a worldly sense, to have high ambitions for your spiritual life. Um, but understand that that won't win you the praise of your peers. To have high ambitions for what you want to achieve as, as a family, for example, or what you want to achieve in the, in the local congregation. You know, one passage that often comes to mind, and it's just one example of, uh, of this same thing that happens throughout Scripture, is that, you know, Samuel is told to go to Bethlehem and he's going to anoint a son of Jesse as the next king of Israel. And Jesse parades his sons past Samuel, you know, one by one. And, and Samuel thinks, well, surely this guy is going to be the king. You know, he just looks like the role. But no, it ends up God's, God's chosen one to lead Israel and, and Israel's in the end, most famous king, ends up being the one that they left out looking after the sheep, you know, little shepherd boy David. And just being content to be that little shepherd boy David, you don't have to have the thought in the back of your mind, I'm only doing this role in the hope that Samuel's going to come around and, and elevate me to greater and better things, right? Serve God where you are. Be ambitious, but lower your eyes, if you, if you know what I mean, to, to sort of the people who are around you, the people that you have the most impact on. And so you have a responsibility, first of all, for your own salvation, and then for your family, and then for your local church, and then for the the broader world, right? And and take that that order of priorities seriously. The world is full of people who, who have had big ambitions for Christ on a global scale, who have sacrificed their own spiritual life or their family for the sake of their bigger plans. And so be comfortable where God has put you, be comfortable not fitting in. You're never going to be fully comfortable in any of these situations. And that's okay. Because we have a home, but it's not here. It is about our life in Christ. It is about our growth and the fruits of the Spirit. Just do that and God will have things that he will do with you. You, know, you, don't, you don't have to have those big plans. God will reveal that in due time.
0: Well, I think that's probably a good place to end the official interview but before we really wrap up, I was wondering, Dale, if you'd stick around to answer five questions in a kind of rapid rapid round of questions. Sure. So the first question is, what is your favourite Bible verse and why?
1: Um, I don't have one is the true answer, right? But let me tell you one that Gina and I have been setting our sights on this week. Proverbs 20 verse 15 says... Gold there is, and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel. Um, I think that that sort of uh, fits in well with the conversation that we we have, particularly in the Australian context. There is a lot of wealth. There is a lot of shiny things to be distracted by, but we need to be focusing on what is really important. And, you know, it can be something as, as unfashionable as, you know, caring about truth
0: that's probably something that should actually come back into fashion and hopefully it does. So now to the second question, who is your Bible hero and why?
1: Another great question. You know, I don't have a a Bible hero either. I'll just say the prophets as a whole, because they were constantly speaking truth in an era where it was not well received Some of them suffered a lot for it. Some of them were merely ridiculed and others were tortured and executed. But they had, as Jeremiah says, they had a fire in their bellies. They just had to speak the message that God had given them and that's what I want to emulate.
0: Next question is, when or where do you feel closest to God?
1: I think when I'm in a room full of Christians who are, united in whatever they're doing i feel closest to god i think that would have been true even before the pandemic um, but particularly now when it's been such a rare treat i think in particular when i'm in a room full of christians singing it's the the best thing in the world and and it is a little taste of heaven
0: and the fourth question dale is what is an ordinary moment that fills you with gratitude?
1: Um, Things with my son, Gina just sent through a picture this morning of him trying out for the first time this little tricycle scooter that we got and he looks like he's having a ball and uh, it makes me feel very grateful for what I have, both with Gina and with, with Theo as well.
0: And final question is, what is one lesson that you think God is still trying to teach you?
1: I think... Perhaps I think I was trying to teach me about the impact that my personal laziness can have on the ones that I love. People who see me on the outside might think, because I'm doing a lot of things, I'm a, I'm a hard worker and I'm very productive and efficient. People who know me a bit better will know that that is not the case and that I tend to procrastinate and then work really hard towards a deadline. And I think... God has shown me recently the ways that that can negatively affect the people that I love and trying to encourage me to be more proactive and get things done a little further away from a deadline. Uh, it's important to be honest in things like this, right? So there's, there's no way I want to I come on a podcast like this and tell young Christians how perfect my spiritual life is. It's not true. And it's dispiriting for people who you know, like everybody, don't have a perfect spiritual lives, and, and that is absolutely the same for me. And so to the, to the extent that that is encouraging to anybody, I, I want to be absolutely upfront and, and honest there.
0: You've at least encouraged me, Dell, and I really, really enjoyed our chat today. So thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you for, for having me. And uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to speak in person sometime soon.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Only Dale could make the topic of godly budgeting sound cool. And thank you to you for tuning in to our first ever episode. You can send any feedback to saltyandbrightpod at gmail.com and make sure to keep an eye out for episode two. But until then, stay salty and bright.